Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Stephen Siegel. And today's guest on our show for New Books, Jewish Studies and New Books, Eastern European Studies is Natalia Alexiun. She has a new book, and it's called Conscious History, Polish-Jewish Historians Before the Holocaust, published by Liverpool University Press and the Littman Library of Jewish Civilization 2021. Welcome, Natalia, and thanks for joining us on the podcast here at New Books Network today. Hi, Stephen. Thank you for having me. So uh, we're going to get started right away uh, after I introduce Natalia's bio. Natalia Alexiun is professor of modern Jewish history at the Graduate School of Jewish Studies, Turo College, New York. She published Where To?, the Zionist Movement in Poland, 1944 to 1950, and co-edited two volumes of Poland, examining Holocaust memory and Jewish historiography. She has recently published a critical edition of The Destruction of the Zhokiev Jews by Gershon Tafet. And this book, uh, Conscious History, is, is out uh, 2021, as I mentioned. She's also preparing a volume of Poland devoted to Jewish childhoods, children, and child-rearing in Eastern Europe. Um, Natalia is completing two books, and and we'll talk about this toward the end, on Jewish medical students in East Central Europe, and also on daily life in hiding in Eastern Galicia. She is the co-editor-in-chief of a great journal uh, that I read a lot, East European Jewish Affairs. So let's start with your motivation, Natalia. This is a a monumental book and there's so much in it. What motivated you to to write it? Was this your doctoral dissertation? This, yes, indeed, it was my doctoral dissertation. And um, it actually started with a seminar that I took at NYU many years ago. Uh, But uh, this was encountering history of historiography and thinking about history writing as an exciting, uh, interesting lens uh, into into social and intellectual 
Jewish history. And I read, um, I remember for that seminar, I read David Meyer's Reinventing the Jewish Past, European Jewish Intellectuals and Designers Return to History. And I thought over coffee, um, um, what would happen if uh, that kind of thinking about historical writing and historical biographies was applied to Eastern European Jewish historians and more specifically uh, to Polish Jewish historians. Uh, So this is how the project uh, started. And only years into it, I actually started realizing that while it was an intellectual curiosity and a challenge, that was also something that had an autobiographical aspect to it, all connections that um, I only put into the frame uh, later on because I was my first my first institution where I was trained was University of Warsaw. I studied at the Institute of History where, in fact, my heroes, many of the protagonists in my book, uh, had uh, studied uh, in the 1920s and 1930s. So only later did I realize that, you know, we were sitting at the same uh, tables in the in the history uh, in the historical library and likely um, going to the same uh, rooms uh, in the old building of the Warsaw University Library. Uh, but it started with somebody else's uh, great, exciting, insightful book. Mm-hmm. And so, for our listeners, what what in your mind, in your opinion, is the Polish Jewish intelligentsia? How how do you conceive of it? What are its origins? When was it formed? No, this is a great, great question. So it, in a way, um, when we look at Polish-Jewish intelligentsia in its um, early uh, early generation, when it emerges, it, it's at the same time closely connected or tied into the emergence of non-Jewish, general Polish intelligentsia. It's the second half of the 19th century uh, and the processes of um, urbanization and industrialization and modernization and the increasing access to universities, although for um, Jews in some parts of partitioned Poland, and this is an important political context, both for the emergence of Polish intelligentsia and for the emergence of um, Polish-Jewish intelligence says that it's happening in the context of a vacuum in terms mm-hmm. of a state, independent state. Um, but it's a, it's a generation of men uh, who are um, um, encountering new um, new professional opportunities, but also closely connected. And I think that in that sense, uh, it shares a certain a certain uh, a mentalité with Russian uh, intelligentsia. There is also a great sense of mission, of mm. uh, a need to not just have a career connected to a certain status and an education, but also to change the society, to improve the society, to speak to the people, as it were. And mm. so... Um, 
Polish-Jewish uh, intelligentsia, to a large extent, um, seeks ways, um, and this is not just one way, but it it begins uh, participating in a variety of conversations. Some of them are closely connected to to, to Jewish um, uh, community. It's speaking to the Jewish community, about Jewish community, but it is also connected to broader uh, Polish, uh, Eastern European, and and um, uh, and universal conversations about progress and education and rights and, and the role of the state. Um, and historians are a part of it. Um, so in fact, much has been written about some um, parts of uh, Polish-Jewish intelligentsia, uh, lawyers, physicians, uh, but but historians are a strange creature because they are mostly uh, in the 19th century, second half of 19th century, they're actually trained as lawyers um, Mm -hmm. and they do history as a side to their other professions. And so... um, the book, um, and I know we'll talk about it later, but the book is particularly interested uh, in the time and place where doing history becomes, in a way, a full-time intellectual job, as it were, and and mission at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really is another question for me about the development of the profession. So uh, my next question for you is about a kind of canon, or I, I don't know if I would describe it as, as a canon exactly, but initially in the world of, of Polish Enlightenment projects and this very multifaceted romantic nationalism, um, there were a number of non-Jewish Polish historians who, who called for interest, right, in, in the so-called Jewish question or Kwestia Żydowska, as, as it may have been called. Were you drawn to any specific historians, Polish-Jewish or Polish non-Jewish historians toward the end of the 18th century and early 19th century? What, and, and why, you know, why were you drawn to them, I guess, is my, is my question. I was, I was. Um, what I found interesting in that um, initial uh, emerging uh, discussion uh, and the production of knowledge um, was in fact what you had just mentioned that it was a subject um, that was considered extremely contemporary and important for Poland's future, uh, and in that sense, for the Polish question, um, as um, as the conversation was happening in uh, happening um, in the last years of uh, of the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth and throughout the partitions years, um, but that in that conversations, both emerging Polish and Polish-Jewish intelligentsia participated. And in some ways, what I found surprising, I think, is that um, in some of the writings of the Polish non-Jewish authors, uh, the anti-Semitic tropes uh, are not very veiled. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the conversation yeah. about Jewish domination, uh, the conversation about excess of autonomy that Jews had ex- 
uh, experience this whole trope of uh, Polish um, hospitality that um, mm. allegedly turned um, against the uh, against Poland because Jews kind of extended and expanded beyond uh, what really was right. Um, but at the same time, um, I guess for the lack of of historical writing, these writings were a point of reference for uh, for Jewish historians both at the time and later. They were not really treated as um, problematic um, problematic expressions of um, of bias. Uh, uh-huh. They were of course criticized, but in a way, there was a this was a conversation in which um, uh, in which both Jewish and 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 non Jewish Poles, as it were, uh, participated, and even um, those uh, Jewish historians that represented in a way. Um, a second path of Jewish intelligentsia, uh, not necessarily acculturated um, uh, men of letters, but um, traditional uh, Jews, often with um, traditional education uh, mm-hmm. and autodidacts in other ways. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They okay. were also referring to these Polish non-Jewish authors. So this kind of shared shared conversation about the past with all the flaws and all the shortcomings, uh, I thought that was interesting for for the emerging um, body of literature, but also tropes and, and, yeah, and yeah. questions. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, I like that answer because I think often in the framing of, of privileges, legal privileges, legal rights, there, there's almost an obsession sometimes in multi- volume histories about the excess, so-called the excess of influence. Um, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, I, I would actually um, like if you might introduce our listeners to some of the monumental history writers. You, you have Krauschar, for example, um, Gumplovich, I, I guess, you know, Chatsky. Who, who are these historians for those of our listeners who, who may not have you know, spent time reading all of their volumes because they're they're, they're huge. Well, I books. hope they catch up on uh, on this over we, the weekend. We, um, exactly, we need to well, go to the university library. And, uh, who, they who, will who likely they? be dusted volumes. Uh, well, uh, I think that Chatsky, in some ways, uh, maybe stands for. Um, a lot of interesting aspects of, of, of this literature because he publishes his um, uh, treatise on a uh, treaty on a Jewish question on, on Jews actually and Karaites uh, um, in, uh, in the first decade of the 19th century. And this is very much still in the context of uh, May 3rd, um, 1791 uh, constitution, the failed attempt of um, reforming the state uh, ahead of uh, the second and third partition. Um, And so he, in a way, bridges between the uh, Commonwealth um, nobility um, um, who Take, who takes interest in the questions that they see as connected for the uh, well-being of the country as the country 
disappears from the map of Europe. And I know the map is a very important <laughs> word for yeah. you. Um, and so uh, the way that Chatsky frames his uh, treaty uh Precisely touching on some of these uh, um, moments that that you and I mentioned, uh, which is uh, Jewish autonomy, you know, recognizing or stressing that Jews in in the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth enjoyed this um, a unique uh, uh, level of um, of autonomy uh, that. Um, they had played uh, an important role in the economy of the state. Um, and there is an element of implied criticism um, that, you know, certain aspects of this relationship between the state and the Jews and mm-hmm. non-Jewish um, um, neighbors, uh, for lack of better word, uh, since it's not yet uh, really fully a civic discourse, but uh, that that um, Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles living together, that that some elements of this relationship uh, need to be changed so that the country can do better in terms of administration and finances and taxation. Um, but but he frames again this this uh, interest that is both uh, 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 looking at the Jewish past through the Polish lens, as it were. Uh, you know what's good for the Polish state. What is the role of this population that is ultimately seen as um, foreign? Um, mm-hmm. He does stress that Jews have lived in Poland, in Polish lands for hundreds of years, but um, they are the guests that were uh, received. Um, Mm. But there is also, uh, because of the interest in the Jewish autonomy, uh, at least an opening, I think, to take interest in internal Jewish life. He doesn't do it. This is not part of the treaties. You know, this is not why he sets out to write it, it's really a piece of work that is supposed to help statesmen uh, in mm. designing the best way of reforming um, yeah. uh, state institutions. But he he makes a gesture at the at the interesting curiosity about about Jewish internal Jewish uh, institutions. Um, and so uh, I found this little book, it's not a big read, it's really short, it's a booklet, uh, um, very, um, very fascinating how much, to what extent, uh, his mode of thinking um, had this long, long shadow and, and influence that had far exceeded the political context in which he was writing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I... In, in all this 19th century uh, writing, I think I was also quite interested in um, Alexander Kraushar, whom you mentioned, um, and, and he takes on um, interest in Polish Gentile relations, Jewish Gentile relations in legal status, um, but but he is uh, far more invested uh, in going beyond the you know, prescriptive ideas for uh, how things, knowing history, should be um, used in designing the better uh, future. Right. Uh, right. It's much more, I think, um, 
looking at the past for past sake, although there is, of course, a sense that history is always in the service of, in some ways, you know, bringing understanding, uh, um, making the conversation between people living together on the same same soil, as it were, it's often it's often repeated in this literature how they could and should uh, know one another better. Um, but it's um, it's more autonomous in a way as a as a yeah. way of uh, historicizing. That's, that, that's I mean, Natalia, I'm really interested in how you um, describe in the 19th century, especially in the last decades, the development schools of thought and the inclusion of, of research, you know, in, in Hebrew and Yiddish, especially the interpretation and incorporation of, of documents. Um, I wonder if, if you might describe for us the development of, of schools of thought. I wonder if that's a fair term, but, you know, not just like at Jagiellonian University or in Warsaw, but there's people like Ashkenazi, um, who mentor and, and shepherd, as you put it, um, almost an entire generation of Polish or Polonized Jewish intelligentsia. How, how do you see that landscape of academic professional history, professional Polish Jewish history developing? Is it, is it one person? Is it a group of people? Is it a communal project where people are gathering the sources? How, how do you I understand? I would say, thank you. This is a great question, actually. I would say all of the above, uh, but also you mentioning um, Ashkenazi or Ashkenazi, uh, Shimon Ashkenazi, uh, uh, it allows me to make a geographic uh, um, remark in, in placing this... Um, the story of writing, but it's it's happening in a very concrete uh, uh, space of of borders that are a result of partitions. And while uh, Krauschar and Chatsky and Smolensky and and others that um, we didn't mention earlier are all scholars uh, writing in Warsaw, and in fact, this is the time when the first attempt at local history of of Jewish community in Warsaw is made. Uh, But Ashkenazi makes quite physically, quite literally, uh, a a journey from uh, Congress Poland to to Galicia, to to Lviv, Lviv today, uh, Lemberg, uh, at the time, uh, for from the point of view of the um, um, from Vienna, uh, and and I think that this is an important aspect of of this um, uh, tale, uh, which is that the schools, to some extent, are related to uh, the place of intelligentsia in the context of various partitions, and so right. there is a particular way of writing Polish history and and Polish Jewish history uh, in Warsaw, um, which is to some extent conditioned by the Imperial Russian project and and is um, in conversation or rather an attempt to um, to create a voice vis-a-vis the Imperial Russian project. And then the story in Galicia has a very different conditioning, let alone the fact that from the second half of 19th century, the universities 
the Jagiellonian University that you mentioned and, and the University in Lwów um, are polonized, something that is not quite the reality for aspiring intelligentsia in, in, uh, in Congress Poland. So uh, when Ashkenazim moves from from Congress Poland to Lwów, he creates or contributes or becomes a backbone of a school that um, in a way um, is centered on the Polish patriotic Polish discourse, romantic Polish discourse, and he is very much the historian of the 19th century. And I must say, as someone who grew up um, <laughs> reading um, uh, historical books uh, in, in Poland, he is he was such an amazing writer of the 19th century romantic Polish history that, that I think that his books still... Uh, have the power to inspire his uh, biography of uh, Prince um, Poniatowski. Um, so, so in a way, there is a geographic component. And then there is, of course, the component of uh, the audience. Um, there is a component of uh, positioning of Polish, Jewish, and Polish historiographies uh, in relationship to one another. And what is unique, I think, uh, for for Galicia, uh, especially at the turn of the end of 19th century, towards the end of 19th century, is that there is a number of Polish scholars, Polish-Polish scholars, who uh, are supportive of uh, the development of Polish Jewish historiography with, a, with, a, with an understanding that this is something that Polish historiography needs. Um, and, and that is different from, let's say, what I mentioned earlier, um, uh, people like uh, Alexander Maciejowski and, and, and Chatsky himself, uh, these Polish historians are not themselves interested in writing about the past of Polish Jews, but they want that history to be written. And they want that history to be written yeah. by scholars who can access Jewish sources. Exactly. Um, and you mentioned, you mentioned sources, I think, in one of the previous comments um you know what do you what do you need to read to reconstruct the past and uh, while we might have many answers to this question now but you know methodological um uh, ideas about it are quite um well formulated uh, we're talking about a time when it's all very fluid so um, the fact that leading Polish historians at the Jagiellonian University, at the Lwów University people who are uh, um, heads of major uh, archives um, are mm-hmm. encouraging young, young Jews uh, coming into university to study history to take on Jewish topics um, as part of Polish uh, historiography. Um, I think that also uh, marks a very important change um, in the status of, yeah. of that conversation. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals 
Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off yeah i i want to i wanted to ask that too because i'm i'm really fascinated um in the middle of your book by this idea of a mainstream and i guess i would becoming polish mainstream is the title of, of one of your chapters and it, it might be my favorite chapter um mine too because no really because i i, I honestly i mean this because i, I feel like um, there's this major shift that happens with the formation of the Second Polish Republic. I wonder if you could talk about that. I, I think maybe, you know, they are men, mostly, maybe even all men, but they have very interesting careers, which are somewhat traditional. I mean, some of them are, are still, you know, re, re involved, I guess, in the places from which they come, even when they leave Lvov or leave Galicia. So, like, how how is a mainstream formed once there is a Polish state? And I guess these are university trained historians ultimately who who go full fledged into the profession. But, but what precisely, are their, what are their lives? Precisely, the the uh, there are two key aspects to it, and you nailed both of them. So I will just elaborate on what you already identified. Uh, one is that they're moving away from Galicia and unlike Ashkenazi who came to Lwów to teach uh, and then left it when um, when the Second Polish Republic emerged from uh, the First World War um, um, this generation of men and yes they were all men uh, Meyer Bauerban uh, Moses, Moises Schor and Ignacy Itzhak Schieper uh, um, the, the three uh, pioneering professional historians. Um, again, unlike uh, this earlier generation, they were not autodidacts and not autodidacts uh, as historians. Um, and their credential was university diplomas of Lwów, of Vienna, and of Jagiellonian University. And that is what makes them more mainstream. So in a way... Coming back to my, going back for just a second to my previous uh, answer, this mainstreaming starts before 1918 with um, encouraging the subfield of historiography, uh, with welcoming these men into the archives, writing for them, you know, all we know as part of the academic universe, uh, recommending them, uh, recommending them to people who might share documents with them or access to material, etc., etc. But but the main the, 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 the mainstreaming of, of Jewish Polish Jewish historical historical writing becomes really possible uh, in the Second Polish Republic. And this is again connected to a university as a as an essential institution uh, that grants uh, the recognition uh, for the field, and 
that is connected uh, with several people, um, especially with um, Marcelli Handelsman, uh, a fascinating figure of a um, very patriotic um, Polish uh, Jewish intellectual uh, who thought of himself primarily as a as a Pole, um, who was instrumental in um, building um, Warsaw University uh, during the German occupation from 1915 on, and who had a very bold vision of bringing to this new department of humanities a variety of historians to build Warsaw University. Now this is a capital, right? This is not right. just a, right. a, a, a town in the somewhere somewhere on the on the outskirts of um, of the empire, but building this uh, essential site for training um, Polish uh, Polish historians. And so he uh, encourages people to to study and to study all kinds of all kinds of histories among these history of Polish Jews. So one of the people that were very closely connected with him and of whom I'm uh, sure uh, um, all of our listeners uh, would know is um, Emmanuel Ringelblum, the future. Um, organizer mm. of uh, Onek Shabbat of Warsaw Ghetto Archive. And then Handelsman does an even bolder thing, uh, which is to invite uh, Yeah, that's my next question. Who and well, why <laughs> get <yes>. invited? <laughs> so he invites, and, and I think that it's fascinating that it's not just Jewish history. He invites Meyer Bauerban uh, in 1927 um, to uh, teach, uh, this is a state university. It doesn't have the system of of chairs, but Bawaban is specifically brought to teach uh, Jewish history, and and he does teach uh, Polish Jewish history for the most part. But uh, Handelsman invites also um, um, Miron Korduba to teach Ukrainian. History. So this is, uh, in a, in yeah. a way, this inclusive vision of yeah. of the Polish past, which is not just the past of ethnic Poles, not just a pa- past of Catholic Poles, but it's a past of all kinds of inhabitants of the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth, and then partitioned Polish lands. And so Bałaban finds himself in Warsaw uh, first. Uh, to teach at the newly formed um, high school for traditional Jews who uh, pursue traditional education and train as rabbi, but they also receive secular training as part of it. And he's responsible for their secular training. And there are fascinating stories about the clashing of, Mm -hmm. of his worldview with more orthodox members of the faculty. Um, Moise Shor, who um, sometime uh, during uh, during the First World War becomes more of a um, uh, scholar of Semitic languages than a scholar of Polish Jewish history, comes to Warsaw to teach uh, in the Department of um, Orientalist Studies. And Ignacy Itzhak Schieper 
comes to Warsaw as part of his political career. And I, and this is this is this geographic, spatial, political aspect of the story. While Galicia was a welcoming site um, of of uh, conversation about Jewish and Polish Jewish past, and Sam Castle and um, and Rachel Manekin wrote about it um, uh, wow. in their own work. Now in the new state, it is Warsaw that really mm-hmm. offers the opportunity. Right. I and I guess I'm curious. You know, I know you've written about this elsewhere, Natalia, about professionalization and the extent to which it's inclusive and open, and also, you know, how many women are, are taking part in this and I being was, trained. I so wanted could, to mention could women. You, could you could you talk about Bawaban and you know his like I remember the story of the Festschrift, but it's also the seminars that he had at the Institute of Jewish Studies at Warsaw University. You have this marvelous part about um, Clara Minksberg, I think was her name, yes. and, and the oral interview. So, you know, tell us, are, are these institutes actually welcoming women's history and women's studies? Is is it, what, I mean, what is it, what was life like in those seminars in, in Warsaw, but, you know, also YIVO and YIVO Institute in Vilna? Do you think that they were they were inclusive? And, um, how, I think how they work? were inclusive. Um, um, I'm not entirely sure that they were consciously um, um, inclusive. Uh, you know, um, uh, going out of their way to uh, encourage women, uh, but. Um, just like you mentioned before, that generation uh, in uh, early 20th century uh, Galicia are all men. And then when we look at the, the young historians that come to play a role in this mainstream 1920s and 1930s uh, Second Polish Republic um, historical profession, uh, roughly one third of Bawaban's uh, students are women. Uh, these are women who receive an uh, MA or a doctoral degree in uh, history, writing on uh, Jewish topics. Um, and uh, what what I know, um, in some ways, you know, the nature of researching the some aspect of aspects of social life of of uh, Polish Jews before the Holocaust is limited by the kinds of uh, documents that survived, especially the kinds of personal mm. narratives. Letters, um, yeah, memoirs. I, I was. I would love to have uh, come across, uh, you know, exchanges of letters of former students yeah. of uh, Meyer Bawaban, uh, but I was still able to find some traces uh, in memoirs, in oral interviews, what you mentioned. So what I found fascinating about Bawaban um, was the way that he was consciously drawing, drawing students in and consciously making the connection between them and their personal biographies um, and this was also working well for his um, understanding of building the field, something that he shared with other, uh, with Shore and Shipper, uh, also Philip Friedman, uh, who um, plays an important role in um, as a pioneer of uh, Holocaust uh, scholarship, but comes out of this milieu as well uh, of Rafael Mahler, which is local histories. And so 
Bawaban has this way of, um, and there are several um, accounts of it, how in the first seminars he would ask students where they come from and then uh, tell stories about the history of Jewish community in these towns and sometimes even pick names of the students and, um, you know, come up with anecdotes about uh, famous Jews that uh, bore the same last name. Um, and, and I thought it was an interesting pedagogical tool uh, to make them feel intimate uh, in, in the context of uh, the history of Polish Jewry. Now, I'm not entirely sure um, how the process, you know, I have the list of topics that his students wrote about, um, uh, the festrift you mentioned that that has this list, list and I found student records, so I was able to, to some extent, um, map out that new generation uh, that, for the most part, um, was murdered uh, in a Holocaust, yeah. uh, the new generation of scholars, um, but also teachers and, and journalists and, um, and pedagogues. And, and so I wonder often to what extent Bawaban likely assigned topics to his students. Uh, this is somewhat based on my own personal experience in the 1990s when students were not yet free to choose whatever they wanted mm, to write about. Right. But but I thought it was also very smart because if you were, um, in a case of, for example, Brody, there is a wonderful monograph on the history of Jews in, in Brody uh, written by David Wurm, who ended up being a teacher in a local gymnasium there after he graduated. Um, you know, if you came from this town, you knew uh, who had the chronicle of the community who might have had some documents from the past whom to ask uh, to to have these documents for two nights and copy and um and much of this work to some extent at least preserved uh, documents that um that disappeared um mm -hmm. uh, a few years later during the war um and so even if this was not um, spontaneous choice of his students. Uh, it seems, or it reads, uh, when you put together the, the topics and the biographies to the extent, again, that we can reconstruct them from student files, uh, this seems like an extremely personal uh, list of, right. of, of entry into, into the field. And that goes uh, both for male and and female students. And there is one uh, student that I have a particularly strong connection with, uh, Sarah Eisenstein, who wrote um, with Bawaban as her advisor, um, a dissertation about um, the history of Jewish and Polish women in the early modern period in the 17th and 18th century. Um, and it's an extremely... Um, um, explicitly uh, um, demanding change kind of a thesis. Um, mm -hmm. and, and again, it, it, it would be fascinating to know whether this was something that she came to her professor with uh, because the whole 
thesis is about how we need to explore the the past of women more and they cannot and should not be just dismissed and the history is ultimately history of men um, and how we need to look for sources and it might be difficult uh, because the sources are for that yeah. period are created by men. I mean, you read it and and it reads uh, like a, a kind of manifesto that um, would be written in the early 90s. Um, and yeah. so it's fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah. It's fascinating to, to, I guess, just raise a question whether whether Bawaban, uh, you know, a man of that generation might have been um, interested in this uh, or even initiated it, or was he simply willing to guide that kind of a topic? And mm-hmm. in the manuscript, um, these theses and dissertations are partially typed, but most of them are handwritten, which I actually very much enjoyed working mm-hmm. in the archives. I, I felt that this gave me uh, some kind of intimate moment of encounter with the authors. Mm-hmm. And there are some comments with a red pencil that Bawaban makes on the margins, uh, but he doesn't seem to tone down um, the voice uh, calling for a new kind of perspective um, the history of Polish Jews. And, and, and I guess, you know, I, I did want to ask you a question about the public aspect of this. And I mean, people have to read your book because there, there are so many journals and I guess da- even dailies that are covered sometimes with subscriptions in the, the thousands or tens of thousands. I, I mean, how in the, the 1930s, especially like after the Piłsudski coup and so forth, is public outreach conceived? I, I mean, you mentioned Bawaban and, and how important it was, you know, for professors at universities to get beyond the ivory tower, um, become involved in, in curricula and sort of even in rabbinical schools and things like that. So, I mean, what's the story in in the 1930s with post-Jewish historians? Do you feel or do you sense that the outreach that began with YIVO and the Institute of Jewish Studies was was strong. I mean, was there a moment in time when the professionals who you know started in the Second Republic felt threatened, or somehow the state was interfering? I mean, how how did that you know sort of professional world turn into a public world in the 1930s before 1939? Yeah, that that is one of the key questions I think in that book, um, and and the conversation in a way that I, I have with um, with the work of other historians who worked on the on Polish Jewish culture in the in the 30s, um, and it's something that remains for me open you now whether this was this whole um, um, idea of and and the and the sense of necessity of writing Polish Jewish history was it despite mainstreaming of it, despite being allowed into university, um, um, was did it remain um, a counterculture of sorts? Uh, Sam Caso actually use, uses the term uh, counter-profession and right. um, stressing the fact that they still remained um, marginalized. I Take, I take a little bit more of an inclusive uh, view of it. I think that they were 
they truly were mainstreamed and that some of the difficulties um, that Jewish uh, graduates of um, of Warsaw University especially, but to some extent of, of the university in Vilna, back then Vilnius, today Stefan Batory University, had uh, was in fact shared by uh, by non-Jewish students, um, likely being Jewish didn't help with employment, but uh, but um, there was there was an access of um, intelligentsia, especially in humanities, uh, especially in a context of uh, the economic uh, crisis in 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 more general terms. Uh, but putting aside this question of whether being able to publish in some major Polish journals, um, a few of, of the historians being able to publish their books uh, with um, with grants coming from general uh, Polish uh, uh, sources. Um, to what, where do we draw the line of making it, as it were? Um, right. They clearly uh, also see themselves as public intellectuals. And and again, this is something that I find um, extremely um, relevant uh, for the professional, uh, uh, for our professional life as historians today. And the fact that these are minority historians, you know, mm. what does it mean for minority historians to be public historians and to uh, share the research uh, with a variety of audiences, both? Jewish and and not Jewish. Uh, I don't want to say Polish because Poland, Polish Republic is a multi. Uh, um, uh, Second Polish Republic is a multi-ethnic state. It's not just Poles and Jews. It's Ukrainians, Belarusians, Lithuanians, um, Germans, Czechs. So there is a, a whole range of audiences, and I think that they have, aside from um, no lack of. Uh, uh, positions at universities and and uh, limited chances um, of employment, they have a genuine interest in speaking to the broader public. Um, and you mentioned um, uh, rabbis. Um, I look at in the book at military rabbis as one particular uh, um, channel, one particular venue in preaching, as it were, uh, a particular vision of Jewish past to um to Polish Jewish men who had been drafted into the Polish army mm. and um looking at the text of the oath that the um rabbis military rabbis prepare looking at the kind of sermons that they're being uh given but also sermons that rabbis give to school children that are brought to synagogues on Polish national holidays uh, and how all these um, our efforts to weave together Jewish past and Polish past. So, for example, um, Polish uh, Polish Jewish soldiers are the new Maccabees on the one hand, hmm. uh, right? Um, that's that's an interesting analogy. I didn't. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. Um, well, it's explicitly stated in um, uh, in some of the texts, but at the same time, they follow. Uh, and maybe this is much more uh, predictable. They follow uh, the the wonderful tradition of Berek Yoselewicz, right? the beloved, uh, patriotic, uh, uh, traditional Jew on a horse fighting in the Polish uh, insurrections right. uh, against uh, Russia. I mean, what, what can be better? Uh, so, so they 
kind of position Polish Jews uh, both in the context of broader Jewish um, past and then very specific Polish Jewish past. And that is repeated in textbooks, um, in in speeches, in sermons, in um, um, articles published by dailies. Um, now, the question that I have is the extent to which this actually uh, convinced people, you know, the, the extent to which it spoke to people, spoke to a Jewish audience. Um, and I think it did. I think that what we see, uh, well, during the Holocaust, uh, if we look at the texts written by uh, by many Jews during the Holocaust, diaries, testimonies, they write about themselves as Polish Jews. And I think this is the product not only of education in Polish state schools where the vast majority of Jewish children uh, received their education, despite fascinating experimentation with, with Jewish schooling networks of various political uh, stripes. Um, but it is also the work of this public history um, right. happening over 20 years. Um, and the other question is, to what extent this discourse of Jews belonging in Poland, being at home in Poland, not being guests for 800 years, um, contributing to what extent it convince, convinces Polish audience, Polish non-Jewish audience. Mm-hmm. And from that's that's a great question. I, I guess you know. Can I ask if you if you might recommend works that that people might might read on this? I mean, I, I know you have Bartal, for instance, and Gershon Hundert. But what what would you say, Natalia, that people could read in in order to understand this tension of, of integrationism and assimilation? Oh, this is this is fascinating. Uh, well, the the most recent uh, book that I found uh, just um, wonderfully complicating the story, and it takes place in Galicia. Uh, so, in a way, it also explains, I think, to some extent, the uniqueness of of that part of Polish Jewish um, heritage is uh, Rachel Manekin's uh, "The Rebellion of the Daughters." Mm. And um, uh, it came out just now um, with um, Princeton University Press. The subtitle is Jewish Women Runaways in Habsburg, Galicia. And what she shows, um, I think very compellingly, is how Polish education um, in in, uh, primary schools and in particular in gymnasia in the early 20th century how it reshapes the generation of young Jewish women um, and how they really become um, almost implicitly uh, culturally integrated um, individuals, uh, but uh, also creating a tremendous tension against the gender line because this is Mm -hmm. the kind of education that the young women are allowed to, even from a very yeah. traditional families, but their brothers would not. Um, exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think that in in a way, this is a part of the conversation about integration and the pull and the um, and the push uh, and the attractiveness of Polish 
culture, but also the danger of it, um, the danger of it in a sense also that um, the integration is um, not really happening uh, as an experience of many of these uh, um, women and men. Um, uh, but by focusing on women, I think Rachel um, Rachel's book um, uh, does uh, put a very interesting new angle. And there is um, uh, Agnieszka Jagodzinska is sort of on the other geographic end because she focuses on Warsaw and she looks at the younger or older rather generation is the um, a book of Agnieszka Jagodzinska uh, in between that looks mm-hmm. at the kind of cultural changes happening um, in dress, in um, um, uh, uh, cultural interests um, among among Warsaw, in particular Warsaw Jews. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. highly recommended. And these, in a way, are sort of archaeology of the generation that my book focuses on, which are people that come of age... Or in, and are already schooled uh, in the post World War One uh, mm-hmm. Second Polish Republic. Fabulous, N- Natalia, and really, you know, we've covered so much ground, and I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> um, Likewise, but, but we we've got about a minute and a half. Could you tell us about your current project or projects? Oh, with what, you're, what you're working on? please. With pleasure. So um, I uh, now uh, am working on two book manuscripts, and they are very different in a way. One, uh, one in one kind of was I was led into it by um, David uh, David Wurm, whom I mentioned, a student of Bauerban who was uh, um, teaching in Brode and was shot in the summer of 1941. Um, uh, very shortly after the uh, entrance of uh, attack of uh, of Germany against the Soviet Union, um, but uh, it looks at the daily life in hiding in in Eastern Galicia, Eastern Galicia, because it has a very particular um, uh, ethnic makeup uh, between Poles, Ukrainians, and and Jews and Germans, of course, in very much. Uh, Shaping, uh, shaping the story. Um, um, Omer Bartov uh, uh, did um, a fantastic job looking at uh, Buchach, but I'm focusing on uh, on the time when people are seeking uh, hiding places and um, and all of Eastern Galicia, especially actually in rural contexts, and uh, seeing very interesting. Continuities or or effects of um, neighborly relations during the before the war. So, just give you one example: uh, Jewish physicians who are uh, often hidden by their uh, often um, very poor uh, peasant patients, and the pattern seems to be a peasants whose wives likely in labor, were saved by Jewish doctors um, who did not take money for their service. And then these, um, these former patients are, feel 
tremendous sense of indebtedness. It's, of course, not a simple story, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uplifting right. story of, of goodness and gratitude, but that's just one of the stories in which the relations before the war uh, yeah. shape the strategies and the chances for survival. And then the yeah. second book uh, is... Um, it's quite an adventure because it's um, it's a comparative study that uh, looks at Poland, uh, Romania, Austria, and Czechoslovakia, but more specifically uh, Slovakia, and at the conflict uh, over dissections uh, in the interwar period when Christian students or they describe themselves as such, or Romanian, Polish, Slovak students demand that Jewish students uh, uh, should not be allowed to dissect non-Jewish medical bodies uh, in Mm. the process of their training as physicians and pressure Jewish communities to be forced to provide um, Jewish medical bodies uh, for dissections as a condition for the uh, for the training of of Jewish students as future physicians, I, 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 I will read that. <laughs> let, me know, <laughs> let me know when let me know when you're finished. Um, yes, that's... it's it's quite it's quite remarkable. And if I have another minute, I will I will share how I came across it because it's connected with my historians. So I was reading 15, a re- fifteen seconds. Go. Yes, I was reading a report on the the situation at the university. Um, on one page, there was the Dean of Humanities uh, talking about what's going on. And on the other side of the same booklet was the Dean of Medical School saying this semester was peaceful because we received a, a provision of Jewish brains from the hospital at Chiste. Huh. And so the cadaver affair was quite uh, peaceful. And I thought to myself, cadaver affair? <laughs> Jewish brains? And that's uh, how the book started. That's your teaser. That's, that's- that's your teaser for the book. Absolutely. Look, look, Natalia, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on New Books Network. I'm thank Stephen you. Siegel. We've been speaking with Natalia Alexiun about her new book. It's called Conscious History, Polish Jewish Historians Before the Holocaust, published by Liverpool University Press and the Litman Library of Jewish Civilization 2021. Gratulatia. Thank you, Natalia, for joining me. And I'm your host here, Stephen Siegel, on the New Books Network. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.